Are you ready? This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. Folks, it's My Take Radio episode 61 for Thursday, October 7th, 2010. The intro music you just heard was The Omen of Geneva. The artist is Neko Frog One, and you can get that and any of the other music used in previous episodes at ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. The call in number is 347 324 3541. Again, that number is 347 324 3541. All right, we are back, of course, live last week. Well, earlier this week, you guys got to listen to MTR episode 60 and a half. Um, It was a labor that was an incredibly huge pain in the ass, Um, in particular just because I recorded it on the 30th when we went to the Comic-Con meet and greet, and I ended up falling asleep at the Keys, and... Most of it was recorded by my sleeping, and afterwards I had to edit all that out and re-record what was left. Needless to say, when I restored the file so that I can edit and upload it onto the site, it was corrupted. So out of an hour and a half of audio, there was about 18 minutes or so left. So I ended up just adding recording to that, and that was what was episode 60 and a half. was not my best effort. There were no scripts, no notes, but... Definitely wanted to give you guys something for that week. Of course, tomorrow is the New York Comic Con. As a matter of fact, uh, people are probably getting them, their stuff ready to go in there and do a whole lot of damage tomorrow. There's going to be a lot of uh, nerds and geeks and fanboys and people with bad body odor, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it looks like it's going to be a great time. We're going to be covering all the events and posting possibly throughout the day or at the end of the day, we'll upload some photos. You can also check some stuff on the My Take Radio Facebook fan page, but most of the stuff will probably happen over uh, after the event is over in the evening or pro- if you're following us on Twitter, you can see some of the tweets we put up throughout the day as well. Of course, my fiance is still collecting funds for the Making Strides Against Cancer Walk. You've seen the link on the Facebook fan page. You've also seen it on my personal page. Um, as little as five bucks can make a huge difference. I mean, she's already halfway to her goal, which is $1,000. Um, definitely, you know, forego some Starbucks. Don't buy some cigarettes. You know, get, a, get stuff from the dollar menu. Save a little money and toss at least five bucks her way. You know, every little bit helps. Uh, the link will be posted, as always, in the Facebook fan page um, leading up to the walk, which is going to be Sunday, October 18th. Um, In regards to housekeeping, the ads are still there. There's actually going to be some changes with the ads going forward. I may actually do them smaller just because I'm going to start adding a couple of different things to the sidebar of the site. Uh, The donation button will be there, and you guys know what the deal is with that. Our brand-new forums have launched. They actually launched prior to 
episode 60 and a half. I just didn't get the opportunity to promote them. Definitely stop in. It's mytakeradio.com slash forums, just like before. Brand new, redesigned, um, a lot more user-friendly. You get to use a lot more of the features that you're used to in a lot of other forums, so definitely check that out as well. And, of course, um, the Facebook fan page. We are three fans away from 400, so you guys should definitely keep spreading the word. You guys have done a great job um, introducing people to the show via word of mouth. Help us reach 400 fans. It's a really nice, solid number to have, and every little bit helps. So definitely um, go to the Facebook fan page, facebook.com slash mytakeradio. The iTunes app, doing very good. People have been picking it up. I got a couple of stats already in regards to that. Decent number of sales already for a nice little $2 app, which, again, not a big deal. It's only 2 bucks. You can have MTR with you in your pocket all the time and readily accessible to let other people listen to it. Not only that, I am planning a contest hopefully within the next couple of weeks where people are going to be able to redesign, well, design art that will be loaded into the app so that their artwork can be seen by other listeners. So definitely a, a little bit of exposure for some of those that are artistically inclined. And not only that, it adds a little bit of extra stuff to the app as well. So that will be coming probably within the next three weeks, um, depending on how things get laid out. But you guys will be able to put your artwork and have it displayed in the iTunes app. Once I get all the details ironed out, you can keep an eye out either on the fan page or in the forum, and I will be posting the rules and what exactly we're looking for. All right, that wraps up the housekeeping. Let's do the rundown. We're going to talk a little bit about WEC, The Ultimate Fighter, uh, WWE's Hell in the Cell, WWE Raw, which was a fucking train wreck. We're going to talk about Pepe Le Pew in the movies. That's all I got to say in a little bit of what the fuck movie news. Uh, we got some gaming news coming up. We're going to talk a little bit about what happened at Comic-Con. We're also going to talk about Zack Snyder being announced as the director for the Superman reboot, Emma Stone's casting as Gwen Stacy, and a ton of other stuff as well. But let's open it up with some MMA first. Of course, this week's Ultimate Fighter. Um, everybody was really excited to see it because it seems that we started seeing our breakout in Bruce Leroy. Um, a little bit too much drinking, as always. It seems to be a staple every season. Somebody drinks a little bit too much, talks a little bit of shit. Something crazy happens, and, of course, that's your highlight reel for the season. In this particular case, it was Bruce Leroy talking some shit, and he ended up triggering uh, Savak, who ended up spazzing out and almost beat the shit out of Bruce Leroy. Definitely a very interesting situation for sure brewing between them just because they feel that Bruce Leroy is very cocky and very ignorant. But nonetheless, I can't give the segment justice explaining it to you guys, but I definitely recommend, if you can, look for it on YouTube, uh, Bruce Leroy and Savak from this, from this week's Ultimate Fighter. It, it, it was ridiculous, and that guy... I've, the last person I saw lose their mind like that was Lieben when Josh Koscheck wet him with the hose in the first episode and he ended up destroying half of the house. This guy, this guy Savak, is out of his fucking mind. So definitely check that out for sure. Look for it on YouTube or head over to SpikeTV.com and go to the Tough page and they should have a little bit of video there for that. Uh, this week's fight was Kyle Watson and Andy Main. 
Actually, the fight ended up going only the, two, the, the full two rounds, but Kyle Watson ended up winning via submission with a rear naked choke in round two. Once again, you know, Koscheck is pissed just because he hasn't been winning. Um, he felt that Main, Andy Main, did not follow the game plan. Koscheck is definitely starting to not take these losses well, and it seems that George St. Pierre is using his uh, Jedi mind tricks to slowly interfere with the thinking of one Josh Koscheck. I think that this season shaping up to be very interesting just because you have that dynamic where you have Josh Koscheck trying to be brash and cocky and get under GSP skin. Uh, George St. Pierre is not having any of it. He's just using uh, smart coaching, good psychological tactics. They're picking really good fights, and they're just doing their job. They're doing a really great job in moving that along. I think that GSP has got a really solid squad, and you got three losses already for Koscheck. Still remaining to fight on their team, on Team Koscheck, is Mark Stevens, Savak, Sako, uh, Nam, and Nam Fan are all that are left. Team GSP still has, you know, Michael Johnson, Brookins, Page, Bruce Leroy, Kyle Watson, Cody McKenzie, and Dane Sayers. So they got a full squad. Team Koscheck is definitely starting to show a little bit of a. Uh, they're starting to show a little bit of their ass, so to speak. They they're not. They're not gelling together, considering that Koscheck definitely pushes them hard in training. You'd think that they would bond and get some good strategy in so that they could win some fights, but it's just not going according to plan. So the Ultimate Fighter shape it up to be real interesting. I, if you haven't watched it, I definitely recommend you guys check it out on Spike TV on Wednesdays. Besides them having great fights on free TV, it's just a really crazy uh, ex- social experiment to watch where people just start going fucking nuts and beating the shit out of each other. So that's my ringing endorsement for the Ultimate Fighter Wednesdays on Spike TV. In some MMA news, uh, it seems that UFC 122 is starting to shape up, but we're already starting to see the injury bug creep in. Uh, UFC 122's main event is Nate Marquardt versus Yushin Okami. That's the main event. Uh, the winner of that fight will be fighting the winner of Anderson Silva, Vitor Belfort. Uh, Jorge Rivera is fighting on that card against Alessio Sakara. Amir Sadala is also on there, as is Christoph fighting on that card. On the prelims, you got got uh, Dwayne Ben Ludwig, who, uh, who I actually like to watch. He's really exciting. You've got Seth Petrozelli, of course, fighting on the prelims. Chris McRae as well. A couple of great fighters. Um, originally, Jason Brills was supposed to be fighting Vladimir Matyshenko in the prelims. Uh, Jason Brills actually ended up sustaining a back injury, so he is out. Um, Vladimir Matyshenko is going to end up fighting um, Alexandre Ferreira. He's 18-6 uh, and six in MMA. It's his UFC debut, so definitely a nice welcoming fight for him against the janitor. Um, UFC 122 will be November 13th at the Koenig Pilsner Arena in Uberhausen, Germany. So definitely a solid card. I'm more than sure it's going to be on free TV on Spike, so definitely check that out. I actually want to talk also a little bit about Bellator, if you guys aren't following that. They actually um, are another MMA promotion that do their fights based on a tournament format. Um, they, they have some really great up-and-coming talent. Roger Huerta is actually going to be fighting there, um, I believe, next week. They're also doing a women's tournament. Uh, you have Megumi Fuji. She is 22-0, 3-0 for Bellator. She's going to be fighting Zoila Frausto for Bellator's 115-pound women's title. That finale is going to take place at Bellator 34 on October 28th. Um, usually you can catch Bellator on FSNY, if I'm correct. Um, every cable provider has them listed differently. For us, I believe it's, F- it's FS... Ah, shit. FSNY. 
nonetheless, usually I catch the highlights online or I got to go to YouTube just because Time Warner Cable sucks. So definitely October 28th for Bellator 34. In some other UFC news, it seems that UFC 123 has also started taking shape with the main event being Quentin Rampage Jackson against Lyoto Machida. Matt Hughes is going to be fighting BJ Penn. Uh, Miguel Falco is going to be fighting Gerald Harris. Joe Lazan is going to be on that card fighting George Sotteropoulos. On the prelims, you got Mark Munoz versus Aaron Simpson. you got Paul Kelly fighting Gabe Rudiger. It seems Gabe Rudiger has extended his welcome in the UFC. Uh, you're going to see the return of Carl Parisian. He's going to be fighting Dennis Hallman. Something tells me we're going to be seeing that on Spike TV. And Matt Brown's going to be fighting Rory McDonald. So definitely an inter- uh, great card. I personally would like to see the Rampage Machida fight just because Rampage is coming off of that real shitty performance. And, and I like Rampage, so I'll keep it real. Real shitty performance against Lyoto Machida. I think that, I mean, against uh, Rashad Evans. Going into this fight with Lyoto, who, of course, got knocked out by Shogun, it's definitely going to be a proving ground fight for one of these guys. I think that it's going to definitely get them closer to a light heavyweight title shot. I mean, for some, it's even being con- considered a number one contendership fight. Personally, I'd like to see Rampage get back in there and get the belt, but I think that Lyoto Machida's elusive, a.k.a. running around the cage style, is definitely going to not mesh well against Rampage's usual attack pattern. I honestly think that Leona Machida is going to going to take this fight from Rampage. I don't think it's going to be via KO. I honestly think they're going to go probably the full three, and they're and he's going to take it by decision. He's just going to wear Rampage out and Rampage straight in, and that's how it's going to go down. That's my prediction early on. That card, of course, is going to be like I said, November twentieth at the Palace of Auburn Hills in Detroit. In some other news. Um, Ultimate Fighter winner 8 from Season 8, meeting John Bones Jones for UFC 127. Um, That's going to be February 5th in Vegas, and the main event for that is going to be Anderson Silva defending the middleweight title against Vitor Belfort. Um, A lot of people claim that Ryan Bader should fight John Bones Jones. It seems a lot of people have been listening, and they wanted to make that match happen. I think stylistically it's going to be a fight because – John Bones Jones has great stand-up. He has really awesome striking. Just total head cases when it comes. People just don't know how to defend because he can attack from so many angles. And for, for Bader, Bader's coming in using his wrestling pedigree, which I'm more than sure he's going to go to. Um, it's his bread and butter. It's what he's known for the most. And for some people, they consider the fights with him and most of the wrestlers very boring. The only exception to that, of course, um, as of late, has been Chael Sonnen. I honestly think, and I said this in episode 60 and a half, that wrestling is a, is a cornerstone in MMA. It's one of, the, one of those fundamentals that makes a, for a great MMA fighter. It, it's just one of those things where people sit there and they'll bitch, oh, the fight's boring, but that's a facet of the game. It's the same thing with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You've got two great Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioners, and they're countering, and there's a lot of scrambling to lock in submissions. Some people are going to get bored for that. We can't always expect highlight reel knockouts. It's one of those things where, yeah, that's one facet of the game, but you have to respect the other facets as well. I honestly want to see the fight just because I think that Bader can go and use his wrestling and test Jones, but the only thing is that Bader's never been tested in terms of having his chin rocked. So 
it's definitely going to be a great fight, and I think it's going to really open some eyes for the light heavyweight division. Bader's coming in 12-0 and um, in his MMA career. He's 5-0 and in the UFC. Uh, John Bones Jones is 11-1 and in MMA, 5-1 and in the UFC. Um, he had that, um, that DQ loss to Matt Hamill um, a couple of months back where he was using the 12 o'clock to 6 o'clock elbow strike, which, of course, is a no-no in MMA. Of course, it wouldn't be an MMA segment without talking about Dana White. Dana White, of course, pops into the news twice this week. First off, he was actually doing a media, a media call recently, and they were discussing the use of fighter rankings. And he honestly feels that fighter rankings are complete bullshit. Um, someone asked him if he considers Jose Aldo the best pound-for-pound fighter in the sport, at which point, of course, Dana responded in typical Dana fashion. And this is what he said. Are you fucking nuts? Potential future pound-for-pound king. Anderson Silva hasn't lost since 2006. He's never lost in the UFC. Anderson Silva is a pain in my ass. This isn't Chuck Liddell. We aren't best friends, but you can't deny what the man has done. He went on to say the following. You media geeks need to learn the fight biz. I'm at a dinner right now, but you're really pissing me off. Silva hasn't lost in the UFC. The guy has not only cleared out his division, he's going up to 205 and beating a guy like Forrest Griffin who beat Rampage and Shogun. Frankie Edgar is right there, too. I might actually put him at number two. This guy is for real. He beat BJ Penn twice and kicked his ass in their last fight. I love and respect Manny Gambirian, but he's no BJ Penn. And the only thing keeping George St. Pierre from the top three is his loss to Matt Serra. In, in hearing that, I have to disagree a bit. You have to look at, at a guy like Jose Aldo who's ran through his his division. I mean, when his number one contender is a guy like Manny Gambirian, not to take anything away from him, but when that's, when those are the last few guys left in your division, it, it's time to go up. And Jose Aldo has gone on record saying that he's willing to go up to 155 and fight in the UFC. I think that it should just be a natural progression for a lot of these guys. Once you, you know, hone your craft in WEC and clear out your division, you should just move right into the UFC and try and make your mark in that organization as well. Jose Aldo is phenomenal. His fight against Manny Gambirian was a, it was just a massacre. It was a total ass whooping from start to finish. I think Jose Aldo may go up to lightweight in the UFC, and he may take that belt too just because the, the guy has such talent, and he just picks these guys apart. Not to say that Frankie Edgar wouldn't give him a challenge, but I think that Frankie Edgar versus Jose Aldo on paper is definitely leaning more towards Aldo just because the guy is ridiculous. On top of the fact, when you sit and you do these rankings, everybody has their own criteria to determine them. Dana White obviously feels that since Anderson Silva hasn't lost since 2006, he's one of the best pound-for-pound fighters on, on the planet, which is fine. But if you want to take something like that into consideration, you also have to take into consideration the fact that his performance against Chael Sonnen was an eye-opener, and he wasn't as invincible as, he, as everybody thought. Yeah, he pulled out the victory, but he pulled it out by the skin of his teeth. Had the fight lasted a little bit longer and Chael Sonnen would have had better submission defense, I, I honestly think Chael Sonnen would have the belt right now, which, of course, he would have to forfeit given the steroid situation. But nonetheless, I honestly think that rankings are something that are very subjective. I don't do them on mytakeradio.com just because when you open the door to doing rankings for any division in the UFC or an MMA as a whole, 
you're going to get a lot of people that are going to get pissed at some of your ranks, and they're going to have arguments which are at times valid as to why they should rank so-and-so higher than so-and-so. I mean, if you, if you want to look at it like this, let's take the heavyweight division. Originally, the heavyweight division in MMA had one guy. That guy was Fedor. Fedor lost. Now everybody says, oh, Brock Lesnar's the best pound-for-pound heavyweight in the division. Okay, that's fine. But what about a guy like Alistair Overeem? Guy comes in, puts an ass-whooping on everybody, puts ass-whoopings out in, in K1. This is the problem when you have so many organizations that have their top fighters. Everybody's going to say, my fighter's the best guy. I think that you can really classify it as top five in every class. If you want to go uh, lightweight, I would definitely go Jose Aldo if he fought at 155, Frankie Edgar, and BJ Penn. I would even go and throw Kenny Florian in there if you want to go with those top lightweights. If you want to talk heavyweights, I would definitely put Brock Lesnar there, Fedor, Alistair Overeem, Shane Carwin, Frank Mir. But somebody may be listening to this right now and be like, oh, man, how are you going to put Frank Mir at the bottom? He, he just beat um, Mirko Krokop. He beat Nogueira. Yeah, he did. But he also got wrecked by Brock Lesnar and decapitated by Shane Carwin. So, of course, I'm going to rank him lower. Yeah, he beat Krokop, don't get me wrong. And, yeah, he beat Nogueira. But his, his wins weren't decisive against, wasn't decisive against Krokop and against Nogueira. Everybody says Noguera was injured. There's a whole bunch of shit. Not taking anything away from Frank Mir, of course, but that's the way I see it. Now, I guarantee you that those of you listening and those of you in the chat heard all that, and you guys are like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't think that so-and-so is as good as so-and-so. I can't believe you ranked them like that. The way I see it is go into the My Take Radio forums. I actually put in there who are some of your favorite fighters, and I may even throw a ranking system in there just to see what – other people say it's not going to be um, something that I'll use on the site, but in the forums and to hear from you guys, I definitely would entertain doing some sort of rankings just to see what you guys think for each division. Um, I'll probably create that in the next few weeks. I'd say probably by next week it should be live, and you guys can go in there and tell us, you know, tell myself and the rest of the MTR staff who you think the best pound-for-pound fighters are in each weight class. It doesn't even have to be by organization, just in general. Who are your top five lightweights? Just, just to see what everybody's thinking out there. Speaking of Chael Sonnen, which I had mentioned earlier, he will be going before, before the, the California State Athletic Commission on December 2nd to appeal his failed drug test. Of course, Sonnen tested positive for elevated testosterone levels, which the California State Athletic Commission says is indicative of steroid use. He was given a one-year suspension and a $2,500 fine. He had 30 days to appeal the decision, which he did. I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of circumstance in this. I mean, there, there's so many factors. Was it something that he was given that was prescribed that elevated his testosterone? Because that can happen. That can happen sometimes with taking over-the-counter medication. It can change your uh, liver enzyme levels. It can give you false positives. I mean, there were instances where people ate a lot of poppy seeds and ended up um, testing positive on drug tests, which is total horseshit as well, but it can happen. So I definitely want to hear uh, Chael Sonnen's defense, and I want to know, was it legit? Did he cheat? And if so, where does his career go from there? Because now he's got to eat a suspension for a year, and in a year's time, 
the landscape for the weight division that he's in can change drastically. So definitely going to be watching this with much interest, and of course I will be reporting on that decision um, once the December 2nd hearing is finalized. Dana White got an award also this week. He received the 2010 Game Changer Award. Um, it recognizes an innovator who's transformed the business of sports media and sports media marketing. He was a, he's going to be officially honored on November 18th at the inaugural Sports Media Marketing Awards Ceremony in New York City. The Game Changer Award is issued by ProMax VDA, a global nonprofit organization dedicated to the development of the entertainment industry. Um, I definitely think that the award and the honor is well-deserved. I think Dana White has changed the way that athletes interact with their fans. I think that with all the fan expos, uh, teaching athletes about Twitter, uh, all the seminars he does to get fighters ready to deal with press and to deal with interviews, I think it's, it's a great step in the right direction. Major sports organizations should take note because the accessibility that some of these fighters are afforded with their fans is, is really great especially on, when you're on Twitter and you can actually interact with one of your favorite fighters and say, hey, man, you know, that was a great fight, and they can actually genuinely say thanks, or you can say, hey, you know, when are you fighting next, and you can actually hear from the fighter, hey, I'm fighting in a couple of weeks, or I'm fighting in a couple of months. Hell, Shane Carwin put on Twitter that he got his bout agreement uh, for UFC 125, and he's going to be fighting big country Roy Nelson. And where did he tell everybody that? On Twitter. It wasn't on an MMA blog or on a website or on Inside MMA. It was on Twitter to his fans, and it spread like wildfire. I'm reading more and more every day news articles and nuggets of news coming from Twitter than from some of the blogs I read on a regular basis. So definitely Dana White deserves the Game Changer Award, and it's really nice to see him getting the credit he deserves for revolutionizing our sport. I'm going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to come back and talk some wrestling right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... <laughs> well, you won't listen to that on our show because uh, we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that, that has horrible audio quality and uh, void of fake laughter, Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on all games. All right, let's talk about the train wreck that was WWE's Hell in the Cell, which, ironically enough, was completely as shitty as everybody thought it would be. And it wasn't because they didn't try, because there were some matches in there that, that were legit. But like I said in episode 60 and a half, um, not, not their best effort. I honestly want to talk about particularly the, um, the Kane and Undertaker angle, which was complete and total bullshit. If nobody saw Paul Bearer turning on The Undertaker a mile away, they're either borderline stupid or just have zero knowledge of wrestling. Because you can see that as soon as, as a manager that you haven't seen in a couple of years comes back, it's very formulaic that he's bound to turn on, on his protege. It happens. It's the way it is. It, they, he'll flip on them, and then he'll align himself with whoever his nemesis is at the time. They have a falling out. Manager goes back to his main dude. 
blah, blah, blah. Overall, the card was very subpar. I think that the, the best match was the submissions anywhere match, like I said, in 60 and a half with Morrison, Brian, and uh, The Miz. I honestly think that John Morrison really showed why he should be at the upper level and why he's going to be one of those guys that in the next five years is going to be a, multi, a multi-time world champion. The guy, phenomenal, great submissions. guy broke out of Texas Cloverleaf, which I haven't seen since the days of Dean Malenko in WCW, so definitely really cool to see that. Of course, it's a no-brainer, that, and it's been everywhere, that John Cena did lose to Wade Barrett. John Cena, of course, is joining the Nexus. Um, there was some interference, allegedly, from Michael McGillicuddy and Husky Harris. I don't know how 100% that is, but then two, uh, two people in, in hooded sweatshirts ended up coming in. Uh, Cena got hit over the head, of course, and distracted. Wade Barrett ended up getting the pinfall, and John Cena is a member of the Nexus. Let's move into Monday Night Raw, which, of course, they are uh, they pimped the shit out of it. Of course, the big thing was, oh, John Cena becoming a member of the Nexus. And, of course, they opened up with that, blah, blah, blah. John Cena has to, has to work with them, this, that, and the third. So John Cena, of course, opens it up with Michael Tarver versus Evan Bourne and Mark Henry. Bourne and Henry end up winning. Uh, Cena fucking spazzes out, beats up Tarver. Tarver, of course, is injured, so they use that to write him out for, until he heals up. So we won't be seeing Tarver for a while. So now with Tarver out, Skip Sheffield out, you know that McGillicuddy and Harris are definitely going to step up. On top of that, Chaco Cena, a.k.a. Darren Young, is going to be on Raw regularly now, and he's going to be a face. So I guarantee you at some point there's going to be more interactions with him and John Cena because it's, it's way too easy to pass up. And, he, and when John Cena acknowledges it on public television, you know that it's bound to turn into some sort of a storyline or a tag team or some kind of bullshit. So keep an eye out on that for sure. Um, Alicia Fox versus Natalia was the second match on Raw. Natalia ended up winning via submission. Total clusterfuck of a match. Um, Alicia Fox needs to go back to the minors for a little bit. Her wrestling sucks. The guest host on Raw this week was Johnny Knoxville. Of course, he was pimping the Jackass 3D movie. They did a couple of Jackass-related stunts. Um, I'm not going to spoil some of them just because Raw is replayed throughout the week, so there are some people that I'm sure may or may not have watched it. So you can check out the highlights, of course, on WWE.com or on the rebroadcast on Raw of Raw, which is usually on channels like Moondos or Channel 47 or some shit like that. So definitely a lot of jackass stunts there. A non-title match with Daniel Bryan against Sheamus. Why they did this match, beyond me. Not only did they succeed in making Daniel Bryan, who's your, who's your fucking U.S. champion, look like a complete chump, but it really did nothing for Sheamus. But yeah, he beat up Daniel Bryan. Daniel Bryan is smaller than him, blah, blah, blah. You know, you can go a, a whole bunch of different scenarios you can go with. But the fact was, it made, it made no sense, the match whatsoever, and they basically jobbed out Daniel Bryan, so it was fucking stupid. Then they did a little bit of a segment with Edge um, apologizing to the GM for, you know, being a complete asshole. The GM, of course, the the anonymous GM talking through the fucking computer, then talking through Michael Cole, completely sucks. Needless to say, the end result was Edge being traded to SmackDown, 
which is where he's going to probably continue his feud with Jack Swagger, which they started at the Hell in the Cell pay-per-view. Uh, the Bella Twins were in action. Why? I don't know. Against Michelle McCool and Layla. Sucked. The Bella Twins won, surprisingly, but it still sucked. Uh, the 20-man number one contenders battle royal was your main event. Cena, of course, was involved. He had to help the Nexus. He ended up helping Wade Barrett. Now Wade Barrett gets a title shot against Randy Orton. So, John Cena's storyline is pretty much, I'm going to destroy the Nexus from within, which is totally fucking stupid, because the correct thing to do in a situation like this is, you know, continue letting Cena be himself and then slowly start turning him, slowly start bringing him over to the Nexus agenda. This whole, oh, I'm going to go and destroy the Nexus from within, nobody gives a shit about that. It's going to be a storyline that it's going to be totally forgettable. I honestly thought that Cena joining the Nexus was the start of a heel turn, which is necessary at this point because John Cena's gotten really boring and really stale, but obviously the whole destroy the Nexus from within storyline is going to be the main focus for now. Whether that changes or not, we shall see. Some other guest hosts for Raw that you can look forward to, Bobby J. Thompson on October 18th. October 25th, you're going to get Toby Keith. Originally, I think Kenny Powers um, was supposed to be one of the guest hosts. I don't know if he pulled out or not, but it ended up being that November 1st, your guest host is going to be Pee Wee Herman. So you got Johnny Knoxville, Bobby J. Thompson, Toby Keith, and Pee Wee Herman. God, does that fucking suck. It's ridiculous. If that's what they're going with, with this whole guest host shit, at least get some guys that, that can generate some sort of interest. Yeah, Johnny Knoxville was kind of cool, and like I said, they had a couple of funny little segments, but it wasn't on, on par with some of the stuff we normally see. Linda McMahon, of course, continues her run for Senate, and earlier this week it was announced that Triple H has joined Linda McMahon's Senate campaign this past weekend, and he's actually going around knocking door-to-door to to drum up support. Way to go, Triple H. From Going from DX to knocking on people's doors to get people to vote for Linda McMahon. Boy, I would not want to be you. Stone Cold Steve Austin has been in the the news lately for a couple of reasons. He was on Chuck earlier this week. He is also planned to be coming back for the Expendables 2, which I will talk about later on tonight. And on top of that, he's got a new movie coming out promoting, well, a new movie called Hunt to Kill, which, while he was being interviewed, gave a little bit of really interesting wrestling news to the fans. And one thing he was asked about was his neck injuries. And he responded with, I'm lucky you know my neck is 100% these days. I can do my own stunts and fight scenes where I can. I don't claim to be a tough guy, but I give it a go. My neck was fixed in 2000. I had to leave the ring because of the damage. But in my normal life and the movies, it's fine. Although wrestling-wise, I'm a total mess right now. On one, when asked about one more match, he goes, I never thought I'd say it. But when I'm asked about one more match these days, I do tend to say never say never. So don't rule it out. Last bit of wrestling news, which I can't even believe this. A company called Lost Colony Entertainment has announced that they have purchased the television and film rights to the Irv Mushnick book, Chris and Nancy, the Chris and Nancy Benoit story, giving them rights to develop a film on their own or through another company. The fact that you're even entertaining the, uh, 
the notion of making a movie about the whole Chris Benoit tragedy is beyond terrible. And, and you know what will happen? It will get made. And it will probably end up on Lifetime or some bullshit, because I don't think it's going to get any kind of funding to become a box office film, but you'll see it on Lifetime or some bullshit, and people will pan it, and it will open up old wounds, and people will get all upset. Ugh. It was bound to happen, though, just because the story is... The story just screams TV movie. It screams Lifetime special. So, yeah, Chris Benoit, the Chris and Nancy story, you may be seeing that on your screen in the near future. I'm going to take a quick commercial break, and when I come back, we're going to talk some video games right after this. What are we on tonight, even? Tonight at 10 on your local news... I said to Jesus, Jesus, can you say this is the deal of the century, people? I'm telling you. So, Jason, uh, what, what, I mean, what, what are we doing tonight? Tumbling with tumbleweed, Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. BlogTalkRadio.com, Eastern Standard Time. Do you even know, Jason? Jason, are you there? And we're back. Let's talk some video games. First off. Big news, the Nintendo 3DS will be launching in March for the United States and Europe. And, of course, already a ton of shit coming out regarding that, mainly that people were expecting the 3DS to come out during the holiday season. Everybody wanted to have one of those under their Christmas tree. Turns out that's not going to be the case. Nintendo will be launching it in March. But it seems that some analysts feel that the handheld won't even meet its March release date. Uh, Wedbush Morgan analyst Michael Pachter thinks that there's no freaking way, those are his words exactly, that the handheld will meet its release date. If you're launching February 26th in Japan, and their earnings reports say before the end of the fiscal year in the U.S. and Europe, is there any prayer, even a 1% chance that they'll launch a week later in the U.S., March 5th? No freaking way. It's not even remotely possible they're launching in the first half of March. I'm betting it gets delayed until April in Europe and the U.S. He went on to say that he thinks that the handheld will cost about 250 bucks when released in the U.S., while a $300 price point in Japan is good. Mr. Pachter also said the following. They screwed up on the Wii. It was sold out for two full years. You just couldn't get one. What was the point? They should have sold it for $300 at launch and made another $50 sold during that period. It sold so competitively in the first few weeks that it was going for $1,000 on eBay, and they, don't, and they absolutely don't want to see the 3DS on eBay. Finally, Pactor said that software prices may be $34.99, $5 up from the normal DS software games. In regards to that, I have to say, the 3DS being priced at around $250, bucks, you got to be careful with something like that because that's what happened with the PSP Go, and it was met with with a really lukewarm response. You don't want to price yourself out. I think that what they're doing is slowly dropping the price of the DS and the DSi and the DSi XL to be competitive. I have a feeling that the 3DS may, may launch for probably 200 bucks, only because Nintendo is probably going to be willing to take the loss to move more units. Once the 3DS drops at 200 again, this is just my speculation at this point, you put the 3DS at 200 you put the DSI, you put the DSI XL at, you know, 
149 and then probably what you're going to end up doing is doing a price drop on the Wii to 149 as well, just to keep things uh, just to keep things interesting and to be more competitive, especially with the rumblings that the PSP Go is going to be launching next year as well. Uh, well, the, I should say the new PSP 2 is going to be launching next year. I think that Nintendo should really price themselves competitively and take a bit of a loss just so that they can gain the market share. Don't get me wrong, the PSP 2 is not going to come out guns blazing, but when you're charging $250 for a portable console that you can actually buy an iPod Touch for less than that and still play games on the go, or you can buy a, a home console for the same price, I think that it's, it's, poor, it's poor planning by Nintendo. And Sometimes these analysts are full of shit, but a 250 price point, I just don't see being successful in the least. That, that's just how. That's just my opinion on it. Just because no console, no portable console at 250 bucks has ever done well. Sony, you guys can attest to that, right? In some Batman: Arkham City news, of course, one of the great modes that was introduced in that game was detective mode, and it's going to be getting an upgrade in the upcoming Arkham City in the Arkham City title. Um, initially, you'd only use it mostly to find clues some of the Riddler's bigger secrets, things like that. In the new one, rather than unlocking locations with the maps, you're going to be able to scan a gang of thugs and find a potential informant. After finding the informant, you'll be able to have Batman take enemies all around him, well, have the Batman take out enemies all around him and keep the informant. You'll keep that guy and ask him some questions, and then while you're doing that, you can actually do combos while you're interrogating the guy. They didn't give any specifics on how the information is going to be extracted, but it should be interesting to see that dynamic thrown into detective mode. I think that detective mode was one of the real cool features in Batman Arkham Asylum, from seeing the fear in the, in the thugs that you were fighting to sensing, you know, a, a little bit of Metal Gear Solid, so to speak, was definitely in, an inspiration for that. Seeing things like that, seeing statues and hidden places that you can go to, finding the Riddler's clues... I think that detective mode was, was really well done, and using it now to question informants is definitely going to be interesting, and I'm looking forward to seeing how they're going to implement that into the upcoming sequel. There are a lot of you that I've heard are fans of the game Beyond Good and Evil. Well, guess what? You're going to be able to play the new HD remastered version of Beyond Good and Evil on Xbox Live Arcade and the PlayStation Network. The game is going to come with full 1080p support. You're going to get a remastered musical score, enhanced character models, and upgraded textures. That was announced by Ubisoft in San Francisco. You're going to be able to get that in 2011 on Xbox Live and the PlayStation Network. Like I said, 1080p, upgraded textures, enhanced and remastered scores, updated character models, and of course you're going to get your achievements and leaderboards as well. So definitely something to keep an eye on for 2011. Scott Pilgrim, which of course is going to be coming out on DVD and Blu-ray this November, will also be getting some downloadable content in addition to that. The content you'll be getting is a new playable character, which you'll be getting, which is Knives. You're also going to get a free-for-all arena battle mode and a dodgeball mode. That's going to run you $1.99 on the PlayStation Network or 160 Microsoft points. A lot of people, when I discussed this on the Facebook fan page, were complaining about the fact that you did not have any online multiplayer. One of the things that 
was being mentioned was the addition of that, but they actually ended up adding a patch that's going to be balancing out the difficulty levels. But again, all these features will be offline play, and Ubisoft has gone on record as saying that there are no plans to put online multiplayer in the game, and no further downloadable content is planned either. I honestly think that's really a shitty move on their part. I think one of the great things about playing Scott Pilgrim is doing it multiplayer, just because you, you can have so much fun with a group of people and, and fighting your way through the game. One of the things that I liked about the Scott Pilgrim game was that it had shades of Streets of Rage and just picking two characters and just brawling your way through uh, the storyline. Again, really unfortunate that they're not adding any online play, but at least you get knives and some dodgeball and some free arena battles to tide you over. In some Gears of War news, Epic Games has confirmed that Gears of War 3 will now be pushed from the spring 2011 launch date to a 2011 holiday season. But to keep people tied over, you will be getting uh, dedicated servers, and there's also going to be a Gears multiplayer that's going to be available beta for the fans. That'll be in the early part of 2011. Um, Head douche himself, Mr. Cliffy B, went on record saying that dedicated servers and um, beta play action will be available as a form of fan service. So definitely props to Epic for doing that for the fans, especially when you're pushing a game that a lot of people are looking forward to um, further into the year. So you're going to get dedicated servers and you're going to get beta access real soon. I want to talk, take a few minutes and talk about Medal of Honor, which, of course, has been surrounded by controversy for the last couple of weeks that I've been talking about it. Of course, the controversy is that Medal of Honor, which will be released by EA, is allowing the Taliban to be used in the multiplayer. One of the things that a lot of people have been complaining about was that they felt that, you know, selling that game in Armed Forces Outpost was a disservice to the memories of the men and women who have passed um, defending our country. I honestly think that I understand that rationale, but you also have to look at the fact that it's a game based on real-world events. Modern Warfare was the same way. You can't have a, an invisible enemy when you're basing it on real combat. As such, EA actually ended up buckling to that, and they actually have renamed the team instead of the Taliban. They're just going to be known as Opposing Force. But you will still have the Taliban in the single-player campaign. EA went through all the trouble of doing that, and the armed forces went on record saying that they will not carry the game regardless. So, all that, and the game's still not being covered. It's still not being sold to the armed forces. Like I said in previous broadcasts, I think that it's total bullshit that they didn't get real-world data from real soldiers and get their views on the fact that the Taliban were going to be playable in the game. I, I honestly feel that a lot of soldiers probably wouldn't care. I wish that uh, my buddy T were listening so I can ask him. He, of course, uh, was a Marine, and he would probably not give a shit that you can play as the Taliban. On the contrary, he was a Marine, and he's also Muslim. So I honestly think that he would not be offended. I can understand that the media definitely blew this up a lot bigger than it was. I mean, there's been games. If that's the case, do you think that, uh, Jewish Americans or people of Jewish descent would be upset that you can play as Nazis and U.S. soldiers in countless World War II games? What about people that lost family in Vietnam when you can play as the Viet Cong and U.S. soldiers as well in some of those games? 
and it goes on and on and on. Real-world conflicts have existed for ages, and we've played them in video game form for ages, and all of a sudden now it's becoming a hot-button issue. On the contrary, if I were EA, I would have kept it, got my research data, and not only that, but the press would have probably helped more people buy the game because you get to kill the Taliban. Yeah, you can play as them, but I guarantee you a lot of people would have taken much pleasure in killing Taliban uh, insurgents for sure. Moving on, of course, for those of you that are PC gamers, World of Warcraft, World of Warcraft excuse me, Cataclysm is set to be released this holiday season on December 7th, so you'll be able to pick up the Standard Edition Expansion Pack for $39.99. For those of you looking to expand the game a little bit more, you can get a Collector's Edition for $79.99. That Collector's Edition is going to come with a 176-page art book, um, a little Deathwing in-game pet, Cataclysm soundtrack, Deathwing mousepad, and cards for the World of Warcraft trading game. So you'll be able to pick that up December 7th. In some more 3DS news, Nintendo has announced the launch titles for the 3DS when it launches in Japan on February 26, 2011. Uh, the, announced title, the announced launch titles are the following. Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time, Nintendo Dogs and Cats, Pilot Wings Resort, Pro Baseball Spirits, Professor Layton and the Mask of the Miracle, Ridge Racer 3D, Samurai Warriors Chronicle, Steel Diver, Super Monkey Ball, and Super Street Fighter 4 3D Edition. I'm more than sure that some of you are probably going to import yourselves a 3DS and some of these games. If you do, I definitely would love to hear some first impressions from you guys, so you guys can definitely send me any thoughts on that at mtrhost at gmail.com which is soon going to be changed to mtrhost at mytakeradio.com in the coming weeks. But definitely one of those things that it's really cool that the 3DS has such a great lineup, but when you look at it, most of it is rehash stuff. You know, Ocarina of Time, how many times haven't we played that? Nintendo Dogs and Cats, how many times haven't we played that? Same thing with Pilot Wings, same thing with Ridge Racer, Monkey Ball, Super Street Fighter 4, I'm interested in not only because I'm a Street Fighter fan, which makes me a little biased, but just because they're introducing a lot of really cool innovations that are going to allow people to play um, online, you know, in any, you know, on subways or on sidewalks with all these new little additions and little quirky things that they're adding to it. Definitely going to be something worth checking out for sure. Like I said, the 3DS will be out in the U.S. in March. Uh, according to the analysts, it's not going to be out in March, but as of right now, March 5th is the date for that. DC Universe Online, which I was really looking forward to, is delayed until early 2011. It seems that Sony Online Entertainment is trying to make a couple of tweaks, and as such, those tweaks are going to be uh, pushing things back a bit. But Sony America, you know, Sony Online Entertainment did reveal that they will be honoring the beta program. So those of you that have the VIP cards and that have registered on the DC Universe online site will receive access on a priority basis starting as early as next week, and you'll be able to play the beta for that game. For anyone that has pre-ordered the game, and for those that do so by November 15th, you'll also be able to get access to the beta by November 30th. So something tells me I'm going to have to stop in Rape Stop this weekend and give them some money so I can test out this beta. Otherwise, you can head over to a pre-order beta key at dcuniverseonline.com, and you can sign up there as well. 
After years of no video game handheld systems from Panasonic, guess what's happening? These fuckers are going to try it again. They're going to try and do a new handheld system called the Jungle. The Jungle is going to be a handheld that's going to support MMO, RPGs, and other PC titles. The first game for the system has been confirmed to be the Battlestar Galactica Online. The handheld is reported to be a tiny PC featuring a full QWERTY keyboard along with D-pad and shoulder buttons. No pricing or release date has been given as of yet. Really, Panasonic, did you motherfuckers forget about the 3DO, which was a total, complete piece of shit? And now you're going to come out and, and do a console that only does RPGs and PC titles when you're competing against the iPhone the 3DS, the DSi, and the PSP. You guys are so fucked. Looks like we got our first call, and it's going to be Slick starting things off. Slick, what's going on, dude? Yeah. Yeah, what's up, dude? I'm just calling about the, um, you said that Xbox is going to put out the, what do you call it, Beyond Good and Evil, in HD. Yeah, HD Remix or whatever. I thought you'd be happy. Why are you bummed out about it? Because it's the same game that I played like five years ago. It's just in HD. And about, what was it, two or three E3s ago, they made this little trailer which showed... Show Jade and I forgot the pig dude's name, you know, sitting in the middle of the desert, and it was supposed to be an announcement for Beyond Good and Evil 2. So why the fuck would I be excited to play the game that I've already beaten when I'm looking forward to the sequel to the game? Uh, one word for you, my friend, revenue. Everything that's old is new again. You know, Final Fantasy VII, you know, let, let me tell you something. Final Fantasy VII, of course, is a measuring stick for many RPGs. And I guarantee you, if and when, and more likely when, they redo that game in HD, they're going to make a shitload of money, and countless people like Sheep are going to buy the game. I understand your level of frustration, but on the same token, there are some people that have never heard of that game, and that game is, is a very good title. So... Yeah, I understand, and I agree. There is merit in your argument that it sucks that they're, you know, raping people's pockets with that instead of working on a second one. But on the flip side, I kind of like it because it introduces a whole new generation of gamers to a game which is actually very good. Same thing with, a, with Shadow of the Colossus, which is another great game. That, you know, if and when that gets remastered or re-released in a box set, it's going to open the eyes and and it's going to introduce gamers to a whole new world and, and something innovative and different. I mean, Beyond Good and Evil, it's like Psychonauts and, and games like that where they're really good and they just float under the radar, you know? Good, sir. To what you just said, I must respectfully say bullshit. Why? Okay. Because let's take the possibility of a Final Fantasy VII HD remake on the PS3 or whatever. If that happens, yes, it will sell like freaking ice cubes in fucking Africa. But you have Final Fantasy games constantly coming out. 13, the first whatever edition of 13 already came out earlier this year. 
There's another version of 13 coming out supposedly this year, and there's 14 coming out, which is, you know, the next Final Fantasy MMO. Let's go to, you know, Project, I mean, Team Eco. Working, yes, there is going to be a PlayStation 3 exclusive remake of both Eco and Shadow of the Colossus, which is supposedly going to have, you know, previously European-only content that, you know, like the true ending of Eco or whatever the hell that is. That's fine, because guess what? Like you said, it does bring it to a new generation of gamers, but Team Eco is working on a brand-new game right now, which we have seen gameplay from, and supposedly that's supposed to come out next year. There's been no word on Beyond Good and Evil 2. There's been no gameplay on Beyond Good and Evil 2. And we have no fucking clue when that shit is coming out. Because guess what? Freaking when when Ubisoft made that shit, at the same time they put out Prince of Persia and wound up burying their own damn game. So All guess right. what? I, I, I played it when it first came out. And I don't care that it's coming back out in HD because I can still pop that shit in my 360 because it'll play the Xbox game. And I'm not paying for the shit in HD. Well, you know, it's funny because, and, and again, I give you merit in your argument, and you're right. You know, there's a lot of bullshit, but we sit here, most of us, and we complain about that. But we fall in line and do it. We bought the HD versions of Street Fighter when they came out. We did. There's some of us that are playing, you know, a, a, some sort of a version of Castlevania Symphony of the Night. We've all done it. You know, there, there's motherfuckers that are playing Dreamcast, a Dreamcast version of Sonic right now on their 360. So, while, they, while again, you're right. It's, it's, it's shitty that they're not focusing on sequels or improvements on these games. We're, we're, we're falling right back into the trap. Of of, some, of of rebuying some of these. I know people that have rebought Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Hell, I got an email today from PSN that you can buy Street Fighter Alpha 1 for $3. Three. And I own that fucking game. Do I feel like looking for the disc? No. Is it three bucks? Yeah. Am I going to fucking buy it? Abso-fucking-lutely. Because that's, that's what happens, you know? Sometimes... You don't want to deal with the bullshit, or you don't want to go and rebuy the disc, and you end up buying the game. It happens all the fucking time. We're all we all complain, but many of us get in line and 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 we plunk down the money, and that's fine. Uh, again, I, I I'm on board with you. It's really shitty when they'll go and instead of working on a second on a second version of the game, which can probably be more mainstream and more successful, they just figure it's easy to go back to square one and just, you know, beautify the shit that already worked and force-feed that to people. And that's where I get annoyed. I get annoyed at the fact that, you know, it's like if they did, if they redid Street Fighter 2 Turbo HD Remix and they never made Street Fighter 4, people would be pissed, right? They'd be like, what the fuck, man? You guys spend all this time and money making this shit pretty when you could be working on a new Street Fighter or a new Dark or a new Darkstalkers, which is what people are complaining about now. Oh, you guys can work on Marvel vs. Capcom 3, but you can't do a new Darkstalkers game. It's it's the same shit. We we, we complain. Dude, there's a petition online for people to sign up which which is supposed to go to Ono to present to Capcom to get a new game. 
this is the shit we're talking about. But instead of doing a new Darkstalkers, you know, let's do Super Street Fighter Four Turbo HD Remix Yoon Yang fucking pretty costume edition. Which you was know which were all Darkstalkers was. Darkstalkers was Capcom's version of World Heroes. <laughs> Very well put. But you know what? Piece of shit. It wasn't. It wasn't their strongest game. It really wasn't. But some of the characters that they introduced were, were nice in design, you know, which, and we've seen them appear in countless titles. I think the problem is that so many people have been enamored with Street Fighter because Street Fighter is, you know, the, the gospel of fighting games when it comes to Capcom. That, that's the measuring stick that everything else by many people is considered subpar. I know people that are hardcore Darkstalkers fans that hate Street Fighter just on the premise that they feel that Darkstalkers is more innovative and more different. Again, I'm in the camp where it's a fighting game, I fuck people up, I enjoy that aspect. I don't really give a shit. But there really are hardcore people that are just like, yo, man, Street Fighter's bullshit. Darkstalkers all the way. It's like, it's like, are you fucking kidding me? It's the same game. It's the same fucking game. Demi- Ryu is just Dimitri with a fucking cummerbund and a cape. <sighs> yeah, we're um, fucked, dude. But, but but I guarantee you, there's some people that are listening that are totally fucking creaming in their shorts about a Beyond Good and Evil HD remake. I'm, I'm just telling you, there are. And the only people that should be doing that are people who never fucking played the game before. True. Or like if they what? if their disc fucked up or their mother sold it or threw it out the window or some dumb shit like that. Well, while I have you on, and, and you'll give a, a, a good opinion on this, because you've played every console, much like me. What, what are your thoughts on this whole, this whole jungle system from Panasonic? Isn't it supposed to only play, like, MMOs? It's supposed to play MMO and PC games. I don't think it's going to fucking sell, because... The people who play those games, they don't see the sun. They're not going <laughs> to fucking leave the house to go buy that shit. They're not going to play it out in the street because they sit in their fucking house and play freaking Warcraft all day. You know, I, I really, what boggles my mind, and, and it was funny because I thought you were calling about that and that's what I had really wanted to talk to you about, is the fact that Panasonic did the 3DO. You know, you know where that ended up. It, 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 it's probably holding up someone's table somewhere. The fact is that if you made a console that had zero success, zero, what is motive? At least Sega had the balls to say, you know what, the Dreamcast was great, but nobody bought it. But you know what? We spend too much money trying to make hardware. Let's just pimp out the shit that we got that, that, that sells. Why would Panasonic, Panasonic do it to themselves? Why would they do that? It's, it's like gluttony. It's like masochism. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a console, and, and they're probably going to charge like 200 bucks for it. That no one's going to buy. It's going to be a paperweight. Panasonic needs to stick to fucking making TVs because every console they make just like, goes down the toilet. They made the 3DO. They were behind making the GameCube, and look what happened to that. Uh, 
Well, you know what's funny? Ark put in the chat that she actually she had two 3DOs, which is just terrible. Yeah, well, I remember when Ark moved from freaking um, Massachusetts to Florida. Ark has a lot of shit that she just has. Like, useless shit <laughs> just needs to be thrown away. Well, you you know what what concerns me is just the fact that they're they're I admire them for wanting to release something different and catering to a different market, but you got to look at it like this: you're coming in competing against Nintendo, which owns the portable market, Sony, which is getting its ass raped, and Apple, which is slowly creeping its way in. Where do they expect to fit in? What? Because you can play World of Warcraft. You're gonna play World of Warcraft on the fucking train. That'd be the one time you get your ass beat on the train and don't get robbed. They're like, I don't want that shit. Exactly. It's like it's like it's, it's like Virtual Boy. Let me let me carry my Virtual Boy with me on the on the train so I can play. Totally fucking horseshit. But I but I was glad that you called for for that. But like I said, I was I was really jonesing to hear your, your opinions on this jungle system because it's it's such a recipe for disaster. It's like Gizmodo. I'll give you the perfect reason why the jungle has failed. Let's say somebody has a 9 to 5 in Manhattan. Let, let's take something simple like the DS and take a game that's very popular on the DS, like Pokemon, and let's look at the fucking jungle and a game like Warcraft. Motherfuckers if are getting I'm fired. On a train, if I'm sitting on a train my DS playing Pokemon and my stop comes... I close the clamshell and the shit instantly goes into sleep mode and automatically pauses wherever I am. We're talking about an MMO now. If I get if I get to my stop and I'm playing fucking Warcraft, I can't pause that shit in the middle of freaking raid or some some asshole going Leroy Jenkins. <laughs> the shit doesn't pause. You that fuck. that is true. That is true. Like but I besides said, the, the fact people who play that shit, they don't see the sun. Well, you they know what, what boggles what boggles my mind is multiplayer. Because imagine that MMO games, their 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 core audience are people that you know are is multiplayer. How are you going to execute that? That's what I mean. You can't yeah, there's do that way shit. Too, there's way too many holes and way too many variables. And 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 like I said, I think Panasonic, Panasonic just wants their ass beat. They're 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 you know they're the abused spouse of the game world. Because they got their they got their ass beat, and now they want to come back for a second helping. And you know what'll happen? They'll get their ass beat again, wait a couple of years, crawl back out of the fucking rock, and then they're gonna say, oh, we got this really cool virtual reality helmet. You know, while we're on PlayStation Ten. Panasonic is the Bukake whore of consoles. <laughs> that's bad. Wow. <laughs> that's actually that's a good one. <laughs> All right. Anything else, buddy? No, nah, I'm good for gigs right now. I'll probably call back when you get into movies. All right. Sounds good. All right. Later. Later. Dead Rising 2 has been out a little over a week, but Capcom's already announcing downloadable content packs for the game. Uh, the packs will add a new uh, packs will add new outfits and new benefits. On October 12th, you'll be able to get the Psychopath pack. That's going to get Chuck 
a horror outfit with damage boost for weapons such as chainsaws, machetes, and axes. October 19th, you're going to get the Soldier of Fortune outfit, which will boost damage and firearms. October 26th, you're going to get the Chuck Sports Fan costume, which not only gives him bonus damage and sports weapons, but it will also make him luckier when he gambles. Finally, on November 2nd, players are going to be able to get the ninja costume for Chuck, which will make him nearly invisible to zombies, and it adds boost damage to, actually adds bonus damage to swords and thrown weapons. Last bit of news, 2K Games and Gearbox announced that that for the Borderlands Game of the Year edition, when you pick it up October 12th, you'll be getting a free membership certificate for Duke Nukem Forever's First Access Club. The game will allow owners that register their unique key to get a wealth of stuff, including early access to a sneak peek of the long-awaited Duke Nukem Forever. In addition for that, you're going to get the earliest access to the Duke Nukem Forever demo, and you're going to get also, of course, the Gearbox Borderlands Game of the Year edition, which you're going to get the downloadable content adventure Zombie Island of Dr. Ned, Mad Moxie's Underdome Riot, The Secret Armory of General Knox, and Claptrap's new robot revolution. The add-on downloadable content, of course, is available separately on Xbox Live for 800 Microsoft points or 999 on the PlayStation Network and on the PC as well. Duke Nukem Forever will be coming out for Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 as well as Windows PC at some point in 2011. Seems we got another call. Oh, it's our buddy Ant. Ant Yo, what's, what's up? On? What's up, what's up man? What do you got, I'm just buddy? calling to pretty. I'm just calling to pretty much go on. Actually, I have two two things I want to talk about. First, I want to go back to Jungle real quick. I was looking at the thing, and it looks like a tiny, like a, a little laptop almost, but without the, the mouse and with about half the keys. And I was thinking about it. I was like, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa! This is going to play MMO games. Well, there is this keyboard that that they've been making now for a while that you can put different kinds of key sets on your keyboard. And there's actually a World of Warcraft and an MMO preset keypad for for a, a keyboard. And there's a lot of keyboards out now that have extra keys, extra hotkeys for, like, chaining together spells or, or whatever you do in MMO games. And I'm, and I'm looking at this Panasonic jungle thing, and there's only a few keys on there. It's like, how are you going to play an MMO game with all the hotkeys that most MMO experts would want to have on there if you have no option to do so? Plus, where, does it, like, where would you put a mouse if, if it's a handheld device? Like, you can't play an MMO game without a mouse. And then, like, not even that, but what about wireless? Like, you have, to, you have to have a pretty strong connection, a dedicated connection to play an MMO kit, sit there for at least an hour for a raid or an instance. And if you have to get off and hop onto a different Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi point, you have to disconnect for that. So how is this thing possibly going to work for MMO games? I agree. I think that it's opening up. it's opening up a ton of disappointment because you're going to see some MMO players are going to be like, oh, man, I could take World of Warcraft on the go. Yeah, motherfucker, it's called a laptop with a mouse. Not yeah. only that, but not only that, but, you know, people are going to play the shit and you can't just play World of Warcraft for five minutes. You know that. It's five hours. Yeah, it, like, if you don't have all your friends with you, then, like, 10, 15 people playing online with you, then you'll be sitting there for hours to do the simplest quest. And even if you have, like, 15 friends with you, then you, you go and do bigger things like raids, and those things take an hour. So it's like if you're going to sit on a train or if you're sitting in the back of a car, you better have a pretty strong wireless connection, like, I guess, 
using a cell phone modem or something. I mean, that's, even that's not strong enough to, to host that kind of thing. Nope. I don't see this going anywhere except for complete failure unless they can find some new revolutionary method of connection to the Internet. All right. You're right. I agree with you, man. It's, it's going to be a paperweight, dude. You know, you and I both know this shit. Yeah, it's, it, it already looks like a little freaking fake laptop, so that's, that's probably all it's going to really be is a fake laptop. What's the other thing you got? Well, you mentioned the, the Dead Rising 2 DLC packs, how they're they're coming out like once every week for the rest of the month or so. And I'm thinking yep. about it. Like, these are all DLC packs you get exclusive from pre-ordering from stores. And it's like, yep. what, was the, what was the point of pre-ordering these things exclusively from a certain store if they're going to come out with the exclusive anyway, like, a few weeks later? And this isn't the first game that did that either. Like, there's a few games that came out recently that had, like, timed exclusive pre-order bundles. Yep. Red Dead Redemption, Transformers, um, uh, Blur, um, Split Second. All, dude, all these, all these companies are like, oh, pre-order from us or buy from us. They do it to drum up revenue. So what the, what the developers do is they go, you know what, fuck it. Give them, give them this exclusive shit for free. And then they just turn around after the game's been sold and say, here, just buy the shit yourself. Like, I, I honestly very rarely pre-order unless it's something like, see, DC Universe Online, you get the beta key. There's no way you're going to, you know, there's no other way you're going to be able to play the game in advance. So for something like that, a pre-order is worth it. But to get a fucking ninja costume, really? Who gives a shit? Well, honestly, I'm guilty of doing that. I bought it from Best Buy or from GameStop just so I can have the ninja costume. And I bought Mafia 2 from GameStop just so I can have the, uh, the army pack. And I'm like, uh, this is pretty cool. And then, like, what was it? Two weeks later, oh, the the Vegas pack is also available for download on Xbox Live. I was like, wait a minute. Then why do I even give GameStop my money? I hate GameStop. I just did it well, twice now. I just got suckered into it twice. Yep, I liked what uh, I, I liked what Ark said. You're uh, you're gonna have to pay for the experience. <laughs> well, I'm not in the chat right now. My internet's messed up, but yeah. Yeah, I paid for the experience all right, and I just got raped by, by Rape Stop and Best Buy and all those other companies. I'm kind of mad about that. Well, it's, it's terrible just because there's always this incentive to go and, and buy. And, again, I don't, I, don't, I don't get mad at shit like that because it's, it's one of those things where it's like, eh, you, you know, you're doing it out of your own volition. You're paying the five bucks to get it. You're, you're, you're going to end up paying 60 bucks anyway. For the game, you're just going to get, you know, A or B, something or other that I'm going to have to pay for anyway. So the only thing you're really doing, yeah, you're paying five bucks to pre-order, but you're saving 800 points or you're saving 400 points that I'll probably have to spend if I wanted that. You know, so it, it, it's, it's a bit of a catch-22. It's like, do, do you want the shit in advance before everybody else that you can enjoy it? Or do you just want to fucking give it all up later on? Because in essence, you're getting the downloadable content for free with the pre-order. Yeah, that's true. You know, you, that, that's, one, that's the only thing that I don't gripe about. Like right now, you got the ninja costume and you got it for free. Some asshole's going to have to go and pay, you know, 800 points or whatever, or 400 points that you didn't have to pay. So I, I understand the, the validity in that. I just I just get annoyed at the fact that, they, they, they try and really use that as an incentive to shop there. Like, oh, buy the game from here. 
you get a gold belt buckle. Like, who cares? <laughs> who gives a shit? You get this shiny gold nickel here. You know, like, like see, DC Universe Online did it right. You pre-order the game, you get to play that shit in advance. That, my friend, is going to boost sales for the game because people are going to go and they're going to pre-order the fuck out of it because they're going to want to play. Yeah, and then there's certain games that have, like, the 30-day the early, early multiplayer mode. Like, Army of Two had the uh, extraction mode or whatever, which you couldn't play for 30 days unless you pre-ordered it. Then they did the same thing in it with, uh, what was it, um, Bad Company 2. It also had yep. a game mode. I think it was Rush mode where you couldn't play it for 30 days unless you pre-ordered it. Like, I think those are pretty cool because cause that is really like a 30-day boost. Like, you get to actually play another game mode. It's not just like a costume or like a, like a shiny new belt buckle or something. Well you, know, well, you know, I'm annoyed, though, because, like, for the people that bought Borderlands and went through all this trouble, you basically would have to rebuy the game to get access to Duke Nukem, which kind of sucks. See, like, that's a little fucked up, because it's like you release all this downloadable content, and then you go, yeah, just buy this Game of the Year edition so you can get Duke Nukem. So you're, for that game, you basically have to rebuy the fucking game. Yeah, what about NBA Elite and NBA Jam? You gotta buy NBA Elite, which I'm pretty sure I like. I don't care about, and I've been talking to a few people who don't care about it either. We just want Jam. How are we gonna get Jam? Well, we gotta buy NBA Elite. So, what the fuck? Well, that's it's fifty that, bucks for pretty much a, tw- a ten dollar game. Well, that's actually changed. They're actually gonna release NBA Jam on consoles before NBA Elite, separate. Whoa, that's awesome. Yeah, so you'll be able to probably pick up NBA Jam by itself. So you can play as Barack Obama and Sarah Palin. <laughs> and I saw Biden in there too. <laughs> Old man <Yeah>. Biden. <laughs> Old man Biden with his, with his fucking with his fucking doll hair and cradle cap. <laughs> what a fucking boob that guy is. Fucking vice president. Wait, right. He's the he's the vice president of receding hairlines. <laughs> fucking doll haired douche. <laughs> let's not get political here. We're talking no, 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 let's. let's Let's not get political, but um, anything else you got to add, my friend? No, I'm done with my Saturday. All right, man. Comic-Con, this Sunday, you'll be able to meet Ant live and in person. Oh, hell yeah. There you go. Nice to meet you all. All right, buddy. See you later. Later. All right. Let's get into some movies. Boy, are there some doozies for this. First off, Heat Vision Blog is reporting that Sear and Hines is in negotiations to play the devil in Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. First off, isn't that Mephisto? Isn't Mephisto the devil? But uh, let's move on from that. Uh, Actress-singer Violante Placido is in talks to also join the film. The film story is going to see Johnny Blaze hiding out in Europe, struggling to repress his curse. Blaze is recruited by a religious sect to take on the devil who wants to take over his mortal son's body on the boy's birthday. Heat Vision is reporting that both Idris Elba and Johnny Whitworth are in talks to join the cast. Elba will be playing an alcoholic warrior monk tasked with finding Ghost Rider, while Whitworth would play a criminal who's recruited by the devil to find the boy and later turned into a demonic creature. Boy, does this movie sound like a winner. Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance is going to be released February 17, 2012. And it's going to be in 3D. So, yeah. Not only do you get Ghost Rider and Nicolas Cage's weirdo, shiny, bald head, but you're also going to get uh, The Devil, which, like I said, is Mephisto. 
<sighs> these these Ghost Rider flicks, I I'll, I'll probably watch it because I'm a glutton for fucking punishment. But again, there's really no necessity considering that the other one was a fucking a blip in the box office. I wouldn't even go with a second Ghost Rider on principle. In some TV news, Deadline is also reporting that Wonder Woman is being looked at being brought back as a TV series. The show would look to fill the hole left by Smallville's departure, and it's being written and produced by David E. Kelly, which is totally weird because David E. Kelly did Ally McBeal and Boston Legal. So David E. Kelly is actually working on a Wonder Woman TV series. Wonder Woman, of course, has been in development for some time as a feature film, but they're actually going to just go the TV route first to gauge interest before proceeding with a feature film. Let's talk some box office numbers. Of course, number one, no surprise, Facebook, social network, number one, $23 million. Film had a budget of 50. Definitely see it getting to the $50 million mark probably this weekend. In addition to that, the movie's had really great reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm actually very inclined to see it just because of all the positive reviews and great feedback, which is weird because it's a movie about fucking Facebook, but obviously people seem to like it, so it's doing something right. Number two was The Owls of Gahul, which I can't even believe that's number two. It it, uh, grows $10.9 million. That's a 33% drop from its previous total. It's made $30 million after two weeks. It had a budget of of $80 million. Wall Street Money Never Sleeps was number three. The Town dropped to number four. Easy A moved down to number five. You Again dropped to number six. Renee Zellweger's horror film Case 39 opened at number seven. Let Me In opened in at number eight, which is pretty much considered a bomb. Uh, the film had a budget of $20 million. It's made $5.3 million. And the movie Devil fell three spots, dropping to number nine. With $3.7 million, the film had a $27.4 million gross and a $33.9 million worldwide budget. It's also had a budget of $10 million. Well, it's made $33 million worldwide on a budget of $10 million. So M. Night Strikes Again with another successful movie. I don't understand how this guy just keeps fucking cranking out these movies and people watch them like fucking sheep. Because his movies, other than Unbreakable, all his other movies were bullshit. Even The Sixth Sense, to an, ex- to an extent, were fucking bullshit. The animated film Alpha and Omega dropped to number 10. It made $3 million, $19 million total, $22.6 worldwide. It had a budget of $20 million, so they broke even. Social Network, I definitely seeing it. I de- I'm definitely seeing it being number one again this weekend. I don't really see anything too crazy coming out to give it any competition. I mean, next week, definitely Jackass 3D is going to be number one. That's, that's a given. So expect that next week when I, when I talk to you guys, that Jackass is going to be number one. Bruce Willis was asked about The Expendables 2, and he said that he's actually looking forward to doing it, but he'd like to do it sooner rather than later. And he said that Stone Cold Steve Austin's character may be making a return as well. Obviously, for those of you that saw The Expendables, Stone Cold's character, while not killed, definitely suffered some severe disfiguring. I'm not going to get into specifics if you haven't seen it, but I can see Stone Cold's character coming back as definitely a revenge character for sure. So always good to see Stone Cold in some mainstream flicks. 
In some video game movie news, they are working on a movie for the video game Just Cause. Eric Eisner of L&E Pictures has teamed with Hitman producer Adrian Askarev and Prime Universe Productions to work with the screenwriter from Turistas, or Turistas for those of us that are of the Latin dynamic. Just Cause is going to, of course, follow the CIA black ops assassin sent to take out a dictator in the Caribbean island San Espirito. <sighs> Such an HBO flick. It shouldn't even be made for a box office should just be made as an HBO flick. But rumors are saying that it's going to be released as an indie film and it's not being shot to big studios. So there's a little glimmer of hope that it'll actually be good. As I said at the top of the broadcast, of course, no surprise, Zack Snyder was announced as the director for the reboot of Superman. Snyder was in the running with Tony Scott, Jonathan Liebsman, Duncan Jones, uh, Darren Arnofsky, Chris Nolan, and, well, Chris Nolan actually ended up producing it. There were rumors that he may direct it, but Chris Nolan will be producing it along with Emma Thompson. Rumor has it that the villain is going to be General Zod. I think that Zack Snyder being the director, not totally a bad thing. I mean, the guy did a really great job with Watchmen. While a lot of people didn't go and jump on the Watchmen bandwagon, I, I felt that the movie was faithful to the comic, and I think that he's definitely going to give Superman a little bit of a hard-ass edge. One of the problems is that with a character like Superman, it's, it's the villains that, that help move the story along. Superman's story, for all intents and purposes, people may agree or disagree, it's fucking vanilla. His villains, other than Luthor and maybe Darkseid, his villains are all pretty much bullshit. Mr. Mitzelplik is fucking... He's the equivalent of, of, of Batmite or the Great Gazoo. He's fucking worthless. And then, you, you know, Bizarro, eh, you know, way to go. My villain is retarded Superman. Not, not, one, of the, not one of the stronger villains. I mean, Darkseid, yeah. Luthor, always. You know, you can kind of go into Parasite and characters like that, but Zod, Luthor and Darksiders are the core guys that you could build a movie around. Now, I'm not saying that he should go crazy and bring Darkseid in on the first flick, which is stupid, but definitely Zod. You don't really need to retell the origin 20 fucking times. We all know Superman's origin. If you want to do it, you can do it in flashbacks like they do with the Marvel films, like they did for The Incredible Hulk. No necessity. I'm really not against Snyder doing it. I definitely am intrigued to see if they're going to recast Superman. I think Brandon Routh did a really great job. Other than the shitty costume, the super kid, and Kevin Spacey imitating Gene Hackman, I felt that Routh did a, a, a great job as not only Superman, but as Clark Kent in particular. So definitely Routh, Routh would definitely be a welcome back addition for sure. I mean, a lot of people are leaning towards John Hamm from Mad Men, I can see that working as Superman, but I just don't see him working as a nerdy Clark Kent. I felt Brandon Routh did a really great job with that, and I really would like to see him back. In some other news, though, in some recasting news, Stars is looking for a new actor to replace Andy Whitfield in Spartacus, Blood and Sand. Of course, Andy Whitfield um, had taken a step back from the series because he was um, dealing with the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, at which point it was rumored that he had recovered and had beaten it and had resumed uh, preparations for the second season of Spartacus. As it turns out, he, the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma returned, 
and now he will be undergoing aggressive treatment, which I'm sure is going to involve chemo and or radiation. As such, Stars had no other option either to re- other than recasting or shutting down production. I think that Spartacus is a great is a great show. It had a, a really great story. And the recasting, yeah, Andy Whitfield did a fantastic job. If you got to recast it, I mean, the, the the circumstances suck, but you still have a great supporting cast that will help any lead actor um, convey the same emotions that Whitfield did. Um, I wish him the best, and, you know, hopefully he'll be able to bounce back and recover. And, I mean, maybe he'll be able to assist in production somehow or do something, but it's just unfortunate that his career is just, you know, fucking cut short because of the uh, the old big casino. In some Marvel movie news, Mark Ruffalo, who of course will be playing the Hulk in the Avengers movie, went on record saying in Empire magazine that the Hulk may not, the Avengers may not be the only project. He said the following, they set up several pictures over a couple of years and possibly there will be a Hulk movie. There will probably be a couple more Avengers films as well, which would be fun. Idris Elba, who plays Heimdall in Thor, is also open to appearing in Marvel movies. I wouldn't mind taking a crack at bringing Blade back personally, he told Total Film. But in addition to that, I'm also looking at a character which is Luke Cage, which I find to be very interesting. I wouldn't mind having a crack at that character as well. But again, I have no issue with the Marvel movies. Mark Ruffalo, I've heard that they're going to try something new and they're not going to create the Hulk via CGI. It seems that Mark Ruffalo is going to be playing the Hulk as well. He's going to be the second actor to do it, of course, the first being uh, the legendary Lou Ferrigno. So I don't really know if that's such a wise idea, but we'll see how it pans out. In some nice tween movie news, Ralph Winter from X-Men and Terry Botwick have acquired the rights to a new book series called The Dark Divine. Um, It's uh, based on three young adult novels by author Brie Despain. Uh, the Dark Divine, which was published last December, focuses on a 16-year-old pastor's daughter who falls in love with a boy who is actually a werewolf. The second book, The Lost Saint, is out in December. Of course, Winter and Botwick said that the project has a strong romantic appeal to the young Twilight audience. You're just taking one pasty white vampire and replacing him with the werewolf. It's pretty much the equivalent of taking the Twilight films, not making the Edward Cullen character the love interest, and making uh, the Jacob Black character the love interest. So keep, keep milking those tween books, Hollywood. Keep milking them. Of course, the other major news this week was Emma Stone's casting, not as Mary Jane Watson, but as Gwen Stacy in the upcoming Spider-Man film. Of course, Andrew Garfield will be playing Peter Parker and Spider-Man. And, of course, the big news is, that Emma Stone, everybody thought I was going to play Mary Jane because she has red hair. Turns out Mark Webb said that he was particularly excited because her character is a natural, uh, she, Emma Stone is a natural blonde. So she'll just go back to her natural hair color to play Gwen Stacy. <sighs> I don't know how I feel about the casting. I mean, I, I can see why they did it. Emma Stone, she's young, you know, cute looking chick, and she works cheap because that's what they're going with. They're going with young actors that they can pay pennies and then sign them up to three or four films so they can crank them out, and then by the third or fourth film, when they get disheartened and hate the franchise like Tobey Maguire, they'll just reboot it and start from scratch. So Emma Stone is your Gwen Stacy to Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker. In some other superhero news, according to the Vulture blog, while the Superman job may have been taken, it seems that Darren... 
Aronofsky is in negotiations to direct Wolverine 2. Uh, Christopher McQuarrie wrote the script, which is said, of course, to involve Logan in a forbidden romance with a Japanese woman whose hand in marriage is promised to another man. Of course, Logan gets involved with the girl's father and the samurai sword-wielding brothers, which I'm more than sure is their way of introducing Silver Samurai and the hand into the equation. I actually think that Darren Aronofsky would do a great job with Wolverine 2. I mean, he did such a great job with, with such a with The Wrestler, which is a really gritty film, and I think that it would actually erase the bad taste in the mouths of millions of Wolverine fans for the first Wolverine movie by doing something a little bit more darker and with a bit more of an edge. So definitely something I'll be watching with much interest. Another big piece of news and some video game news, it seems that Steven Spielberg has tried to buy the rights for the Halo books so that he can make a Halo movie. Obviously, it seems that the impasse is the fact that the movie was already under wraps and they decided to cancel the project. So what's going to happen is that Steven Spielberg is going to try and cite a different source material, which neutralizes any attempt by Universal's lawyers to demand that the new studio reimburses $12 million in development costs, which is pretty slick. So they're going to end up going with the books, and they're going to follow that canon of course, the big thing is, will Microsoft let it happen? Obviously, you know that Microsoft, that's their cash cow, so they don't want to hurt their $2 billion, their $2 billion brand. In the first bit of What the Fuck News for this week, Fox has secured the television adaptation rights to Hitch, which, of course, is the character that was created for the Will Smith movie with Ava Mendez, which made $368 million worldwide. Fox has hired Pete Chiarelli, who did the proposal to write the project and wants to develop it into a one-hour scripted show. So they're going to take the concept of Hitch, which was a passable romantic comedy, and turn it into a TV series. Without Will Smith yelling, Welcome to Earth, I do not see this being successful. And, of course, to wrap up the movie news for this week, the last bit of what-the-fuck movie news is this. Michael Myers, or Mike Myers, will be voicing the Looney Tunes skunk Pepe Le Pew in a live-action CGI feature from Warner Brothers. Mike Myers, of course, no stranger to the animation game since he has voiced Shrek in all four movies. I don't know what's worse. Mike Myers with a bad French accent or the fact that they're even attempting to waste any money in making a live-action movie of Pepe Le Pew. I don't know what's worse. I don't know if the Hitch TV series or the Pepe Le Pew movie, but I honestly think that the Pepe Le Pew movie is the worst fucking idea ever. Pepe Le Pew's a, 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 he's a cat rapist. That's what he is. He's a skunk that rapes cats. You're really going to spend millions of dollars to do a CGI movie about a skunk that rapes cats, you could probably find that on YouTube for less, for free. And it'll probably be more amusing than the concept of a CGI skunk trying to find love with a black cat that accidentally gets a stripe on its back. Ugh, we are fucking doomed. Doomed, I tell you. Dark Helmet, yes, live-action CGI Pepe Le Pew. Don't, don't adjust your, your radio dial. Live action CGI Pepe Le Pew. That's all I'm saying. 
Mike Myers is doing the voice. It, it's 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 awful. It is it is beyond well, it's actually beyond awful that they're gonna entertain doing that. But you know what? Happiness comes in bears. You'll be getting that Yogi Bear movie real soon. That's pretty much it. That wraps up the show for this week. With that was the last bit of movie news. Gotta get some plugs out of the way. Show ended a little earlier than usual, obviously, because Comic-Con is tomorrow, and we have a lot of work to do. Got to just give a couple of plugs out to the supporters of the show. Of course, RazorClothing.tv. It's Razor Rob's clothing company. You can go there and pick up any of the Razor clothing, and you can also follow what Razor Rob is up to, RazorClothing.tv. Shout-out to the crew at SuperheroStuff.com and the Superhero Stuff fan page on Facebook. You can go there if you want any of the great superhero shirts that you see in other stores that rip you off for 25 bucks. Head over to SuperheroStuff.com and grab some of their shirts. Really good quality for cheap. Of course, another T-shirt company that supports the show, BrandedBarrett.com. You can check, go there and check out some of his offerings. It's Branded, B-R-A-N-D-E. D-B-A-R-O-N.com, brandedbaron.com. Of course, got to give a shout-out to Austin Creed, gocreedgo.com. Well on his way to becoming one of the next breakout stars in the WWE, supporter of the show, fellow geek. Go check his site out, gocreedgo.com is the site. Or you can also go to WWE's minor league site, which is the FCW promotion, Florida Championship Wrestling. It's fcw.com. Deadliest Warrior Crew, got to plug their products. You know, Max Geiger's Giant Sparrow Project, head over to GiantSparrow.com. Doc's Vitamin Water, DrinkDocs.com. And, of course, Jeff DeMoline's site, it's JeffDeMoline.com, and you can pick up T-shirts from the GTD clothing line. Last bit of plugs, MMAGospel.com, of course. I was a guest on their show yesterday. You can check out... Gary and his new co-host Amy as they bring you MMA news on a weekly basis as well as news from the amateur side of MMA and some really great guests. They actually had a great guest yesterday, uh, Randy Thorsvig. Um, I think it's um, over, turned, turned 40 and turning pro on Twitter. Um, 40-year-old guy, battled some adversity from alcohol and also had a gastric bypass because he was really big and he will be making his professional MMA debut, so you can definitely check out MMA Gospel Show this week to hear his story, and I was also on there. I got to ask him a couple of questions and, of course, talk about my take radio. So check out MMA Gospel Live every Wednesday at 9 p.m. Of course, got to shout out MMAValor.com for always supporting the show every week. The Darksiders crew, you can check out what's going on with the next installment of Darksiders at Darksiders.com or at Hayden Dalton's blog. It's HaydenDalton.wordpress.com. Of course, the VGN radio crew, got to get a shout-out for Cleveland Sports Radio. BornStubberRadio.com, Blaine doing great work with My Take Radio 3.0, um, hoping to launch it sooner rather than later. You can catch BornStubber Radio's episodes on BornStubberRadio.com or in iTunes, or you can go to their site, and get all their shows there as well. 411mania.com for all their wrestling news and MMA news, OC Remix for the kick-ass music, filmdrunk.com for all their great movie news, and mmajunkie.com for their great MMA news. That's going to wrap it up for this week. If you have any emails or, well, if you have any questions or concerns or would like to be a guest, you can email me at mtrhost at gmail.com. 
If you're on Twitter, you can follow my personal account, Akuma25, or you can follow the show account, My Take Radio. If you're on MySpace, myspace.com slash mytakeradio for the MySpace page, and, of course, good old Facebook. Look us up, My Take Radio, and show your support by clicking like on that Facebook fan page. That's going to wrap up My Take Radio episode 61 for Thursday, October 7th, 2010. Comic-Con this weekend, folks. Keep an eye on MyTakeRadio.com, Facebook fan page, Twitter for all our coverage over this long and hopefully very exciting weekend for My Take Radio. I'll catch you guys next week. Epic NES is going to take us out. Peace. Red Blood.